Pastor Chris's podcast. Do you ever stop to think about all of the things that God has done for you? You know, now that I've been living for 48 years, um, it, I have to actually take some time to remember because a lot of time has gone by. And, and you honestly, you know, I think about how my life as a child was not very peaceful. It was, I lived in a broken home. There was not a lot of harmony. There was abuse. There was poverty. And uh, thankfully, uh, I got out of that and came, you know, went on to a much better, more peaceful, joyful life. And so I don't, I forget sometimes where I came from, which is a good thing. It's not a good thing to remember. But sometimes I need to stop and think back to what God brought me out of and be thankful for it. Um, And I do that sometimes. And I think about how God brought me to my wife. And we met when I was 18. She was 16. Just two kids. Almost, Kelly, my wife, was almost the same age as Abigail is now. Can you imagine that? And people said, you're too young to know what love is and it'll never work. And yet here we are. It's been 28 years that we've been married and so thankful for that, that God brought us together and, and helped to build our relationship. I also think back about how we struggled so much being young in the beginning, trying to go to school and not really having, you know, we came from families that really couldn't support us in that effort to go to school. So we had to do it and we didn't do it on our own. We thankfully got support, financial aid. Um, we had churches that surrounded us and encouraged us and we were able to make it through. Also, we had young children. And, you know, if you've got young children now, or if you've ever had young children, you think back, you probably have blocked it out. But think back to when your kids were young and you were getting no sleep and you're trying to work and doing this. And sometimes I look back now and think about our schedules at that time and think, I don't know how we did it, but God somehow brought us through it. And I'm thankful for his calling and his doing that for me and his calling in my life as well into the ministry and um, all that he has done. He has done, not me, but I'm thankful to him. And I think about people in our church and I know that there are so many that God has blessed and has encouraged and helped. There are those in our church who have survived strokes or heart attacks or other devastating health problems or injuries. There are some who have survived cancer. I think about Susan Cooksey, who does so much in our church, and she's not here with us today. She's um, um, away visiting, but there there she is. I thought you said you weren't going to be here today. She was hiding, hiding behind Bonnie there. But um, yeah, I think about you and how you do so much in our church and and yet you are a cancer survivor. At one point, you didn't know if there would be a tomorrow. And how many years has that been? 23. Amen. Praise God. God is good. I think about others who have survived losing a child. Um, Some who have survived a divorce, which can be so devastating. Or someone else that they love dearly, a spouse. Some who, you know, we've all survived COVID. And let's don't forget that. Take that for granted. Do you realize that, what was it, two and a half years ago, this sanctuary was empty. Empty, except for a few technical people who were here to make sure that we could put a service out online. And y'all were all sitting at home like, like the people that are on the online service are doing now. But everybody was doing that. And the stores were closed and, 
the, the streets were empty and we survived it. We, we kind of feel like maybe we're coming out on the other side of it. We don't know. We never, we're so gun shy at this point. We don't know what's around the next corner, but God has been with us and brought us through. And we need to remember that and be encouraged by that. Today, I'm preaching the last message in our series about conquering your fears. And part of that is remembering where we came from and how God is with us through it. And through faith in Christ, we are able to overcome our fears because God fights for us and we are not alone. God is with us, but also as God is with us, also the saints who've gone before us, the famous heroes in the scripture, Hebrews tells us that they are rooting for us and cheering for us. Those that we've loved that have gone to be with Christ are there rooting for us and cheering for us too. And as we've been looking at all of this, we've been studying how the Israelites had to conquer their fear and enter into the promised land. God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. God used Moses to deliver them. They got to the edge of the promised land and were ready to go in, but they were too afraid to enter into the promised land. Their fear was bigger than their faith. And so they ended up stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses died. All of that generation died except for Joshua and Caleb. And then Joshua became the new leader who led the Israelites to conquer Jericho and then all of Canaan. And now as we come to our scripture reading today, Joshua is an old man. He has done all of the, the major, God has done all of the major fighting for Israel. Most of the unbelievers have been driven out of Canaan. A few remain as a test of Israel's faithfulness to see if they will complete the work of driving out the worshipers of false gods or if they will be unfaithful to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so now Joshua is coming to the end of his life and he has some parting advice for God's people. And we read in Joshua chapter 23, verses six through 13. So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. Make sure you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. Rather, cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. For the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations for you, and no one has yet been able to defeat you. Each one of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy, for the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away from him and cling to the customs of the survivors of these nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry with them, then know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out of your land. Instead, they will be a snare and a trap to you, a whip for your backs, thorny brambles in your eyes. You will vanish from this good land the Lord your God has given you. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And in this passage, Joshua shares four pieces of advice. Be obedient, be faithful, continue the mission, and love the Lord your God. And I want to look at each of those briefly. God wanted the Israelites to be obedient. And it's important to point out as we talk about obedience, that God's grace came before his call to obedience. 
Remember that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. Sometimes people can get confused because when they read the Old Testament, it talks more about laws and rules and things like that. And the New Testament focuses more on grace, but it's not a different God. It's just a different purpose that those scriptures are written for. But the same God that is gracious in the New Testament was gracious in the Old Testament. His grace always comes before he asks people to be obedient. And Exodus is a perfect example of that. In chapter one of Exodus, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. They've done absolutely nothing to deserve God's blessings and deliverance. And yet God comes to deliver them and he does amazing, miraculous things to deliver them. He sends 10 plagues on the Egyptians to force them to let the Israelite slaves go free. Then God parts the Red Sea so that the Israelites can walk through on dry ground. Then as they are in the desert on the way to the promised land, God provides food for them and water in the desert, manna and quail and water for them to survive. And he does all of this before he ever gives them the law. In other words, he's being good to them, even though he hasn't even told them what they need to do. It is not until chapter 20 of Exodus. So there's 19 chapters of God doing wonderful things for the Israelites. And then in the 20th chapter, God finally gives the 10 commandments and he starts to give them the rest of the law. He says, you are my people. I have brought you out of slavery and you are now my people. And so therefore, as my people, here are the things I want you to do. He didn't say, if you do these things, then I will let you be my people. He said, do, I have made you my people and this is how my people are supposed to act. It's kind of like when your parents, when you're teenagers and they send you out and let you go, they say, now remember, you go out there, wherever you go, wherever you do, you represent this family, <laughs> right? That's what God was saying. Here are the laws. His deliverance preceded his requirements. And the same is true for you. God's grace pursues you, woos you, encourages you, invites you, loves you, provides for you. And that's before you're even old enough to be conscious. Uh, Abigail was talking about that um, yesterday. You know, when we moved here to Dalton, she was around three years old, I think. She said that that was coming here was when she first became conscious that she was a person and there were people around her. But she was a person for three years before that. And people were caring for her and loving her and doing this and doing that for her. There was a whole nother church family that was pouring into her life before she even knew it. She doesn't even know who those people are. And that's what we call in the Methodist church, provenient grace. It's the grace that God gives us before we're even aware of it. And each and every one of us have experienced that gift of God's grace whether it came directly from him or through people that he put in our lives. God is pouring himself into us before we're even available or ready to know about it. And then hopefully we realize that we need God and that we need to turn away from just living our lives for ourselves. We start to turn to God through Jesus Christ and then God saves us. He justifies us. He pours the, the blood of Christ in us to make us at one with him, to wash away our sins. And he adopts, he adopts us as his own child. He says, now 
you are part of my family. Not because you've done anything to deserve it. You haven't earned it. I did all this stuff and you didn't even know I was doing it, but I loved you and I'm bringing you into the family. And now here's what I expect you to do. Here's how I expect you to live because you're not just any old person now. You are part of a royal family. And here's how people in the royal family act. And I want you to be obedient to these things. And he says, to, and God enabled Joshua and the Israelites to drive out the unbelieving Canaanites from the Holy Land. And he wanted them to be faithful. Because the Canaanites had rejected the one true God for generations, for at least 400 years, they had been living despicable, unholy lives. And so now God has given their land to the Israelites. They were to be God's royal priesthood who would represent God to the whole world. They were to help all of the nations return to God. They had a special purpose. But some of the Canaanite settlements remained in the land. These served to test the Israelites' faithfulness. Would Israel be faithful to God? Or would they become bored of their devotion to the one true God? Would they become intrigued by these exotic foreign gods that the Canaanites worshipped who remained in the land? Or would they decide maybe, maybe it would be wise to hedge their bets. I mean, we've never seen this God. And it's the, you know, we've been told of all of these amazing things, but did he really do it? Maybe we should worship God so he will be good to us. But just in case, maybe we should also worship the Canaanite gods so that they will be good to us. Just in case. So there's the test that's there. Will the Israelites be faithful? And unfortunately, I must point out, verse 12 is an unfortunate uh, thing that has been used by many religions, religious people through the, the centuries. Uh, in verse 12 of the 23rd chapter of Joshua, it says that uh, if you turn away from him and cling to the customs and survivors of these nations remaining among you, and then here's the controversial part. It says, if you intermarry with them, then, they're, you know, then God will not be happy. And some people through the centuries have used that as a, a proof text to say that Christians aren't supposed to marry people of our different race or from a different country. And that's not at all what was intended by that instruction. And we know that that's true because when we read the scripture, we see that the Israelites did intermarry, and sometimes God had no problem with it at all. Sometimes he did have a problem with it. Sometimes he did not. But what was the problem? The problem was not about marrying someone who was from a different country or from a different tribe or a different race. The problem had to do with who do you worship? If you worship the one true God, then it doesn't matter. But if the person you marry worships someone that is not the one true God, then there's a problem. We know that that's true because I can give you two perfect examples that are right here from this scripture. Now, there were only two people in the story 
who left Egypt as slaves and were allowed to actually enter into the promised land. Who were the two people? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Caleb was not an Israelite. Caleb was a Kenizzite, which is a Canaanite. He was actually a Canaanite. That was his ethnic background. But he worshiped the one true God, not the Canaanite gods. And so he was one of the only two people who was actually allowed to enter into the promised land. A second one is Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. She was the one who sheltered the Israelite spies when they were spying the land of Jericho. She was a Canaanite who lived in Jericho, and yet she repented of worshiping false gods and turned to the God of Israel and said, I will worship him and he will be mine. And she became an Israelite by conversion. And they married a guy named Salmon. I don't know if his name is Salmon or if it's Salmon. It's spelled the same way. But uh, this fishy guy named Salmon was an Israelite and she married him. And it was perfectly fine So fine, indeed, that she is the great-great-grandmother of the famous King David, one of the first kings of Israel that's so uh, famous for being a man after God's own heart. And she was a, a direct, distant descendant of Jesus the Messiah. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 in the New Testament says that Rahab, who started life as a prostitute Canaanite, who married into the Israelite faith was one of the great heroes of the faith. So it's not about marrying someone that's of a different race. It's about who is your God. And it's very important to see that that the person you marry is the person who's going to have the biggest impact on your life, right? And you want to be If God is what is most important in your life, he's your first priority, then you want to choose a spouse that also has that that same foundation. In this life, there are going to be many things that will entice you away from God. Be very, very careful that you remain faithful to the Lord. He is the only one worthy of your worship. He must be the first priority of your life. Do not turn away from him for riches, for family, for power, for influence, for nation, for a job, for politics, for entertainment, for anything else. Third, continue the mission. God chose the Israelites for a purpose. He blessed them so that they could be a blessing. God had already done the hard work of driving out most of the Canaanites. All that were left was to all that was left was to mop up a few remaining groups. This was certainly doable for the Israelites, who had a, a clear majority and a power and a, 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 a base to work from. But unfortunately, the Israelites lost their focus on being the royal priests of God. They turned their attention to their own personal pursuits. 
They began to focus instead on their families, their income, their pleasure, all of the same things that we, we are enticed by in life. They forgot their mission of God. And soon this led them to complacency and unfaithfulness. And Christians have a mission too. We are to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. We are to teach people about love and the salvation of Christ. And we are to invite people to come and to follow him. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we are to teach them to obey all of the things that he taught. But we too get distracted. We start worrying about all of the other things in life. And soon the main, the main mission of Christ only becomes an afterthought for us or no thought at all. Life just becomes about what makes us happy and soon we don't even care about God at all. And if we care about God, it's only because we are afraid and we are afraid that we're going to lose what we have and we are interested in God not because of who he is and the mission that he's given us, but maybe he can protect us or save us from losing what we don't want to lose. And then where are we? We're right back to acting like the Canaanites. Full of fear, feeling lost, feeling alone, and feeling like we're going to lose what we care about and not caring about God and our relationship with him, which is the really the important thing. The last thing that, the last advice that Joshua gave is to love the Lord your God. He told the Israelites, love the Lord your God. It's the same thing that Jesus said in the New Testament. Love is powerful. Love is powerful. Fear of punishment only goes so far. It's an immature and incomplete way of living. God doesn't want us to obey him just because we're afraid of what he might do. He wants us to obey him because of love. Isn't that how it is with your friends and your family? Do you want your children or your spouse only to be faithful because they're afraid of you? Afraid of what might happen if they betray you? That's not what we want. We want people, we want the people we love to be kind and faithful because we love and are kind and faithful to them, right? And God is the same way. God has already loved you with the greatest love of all. Not because you deserved it but because he is love. As Romans 5, 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And God wants us to be obedient and faithful, not out of fear, but out of love. When you love someone, you try to the best of your ability to do what they want and what they need. And what they need Maybe sometimes it's not what they want, but you love them, and so you do it. And what Christ asks of us is not difficult. It's an easy burden to bear and one that he helps us to carry. It is to love one another. 
Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Is that hard? We are not asked to take up a sword and drive out Canaanite armies. In America, thanks be to God, we're not even, we don't even have to bear the danger of being tortured or killed because of our faith. Others around the world are. Do you remember Sohal Samuel, the the Pakistani Christian that came and spoke to us on a Wednesday night this year. And he has to um, face the, the, the real danger that at any moment he could be arrested and accused of, of blasphemy or disrespecting Muhammad because he lives in a country that's 97% Muslim and a very radical brand of it. And uh, he told me that day when he was here after he spoke with you, he said, will you please be careful I know that um, you have pictures and things, but said, would you not post those on social media? Don't put it on Facebook because someone in my country might see it and take it as a reason to have me arrested. Aren't you glad you don't have to have that fear? So we can be, we should be able to be obedient and faithful and love. As we close our time together today, I want to give you a moment to consider who you will follow. I know that we're here in church and we would assume that everyone that comes to church on a Sunday morning follows Christ, but we can't make that assumption. Perhaps you've never decided to follow Jesus. And so I give you a moment today to make that choice. Or maybe it is that you have been following Christ. You made that decision a long time ago, but you've drifted from your faith, from your commitment. Today, I would give you the opportunity to recommit yourself to Christ. Let us pause for a moment to pray and make that decision for ourselves between us and God. Father, we make our prayers to you today in the name of Jesus Christ, and we thank you for hearing us. Amen.